Hey everyone, I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. And welcome to the Keychains Podcast, where we ask hard-hitting questions like, what would Mother want for Mother's Day? So, uh, we had our, our Big Sealed tournament this week. We did. Or last week at Granite Game Summit, which, again, thank you for all of those who hosted that event, including uh, diversions in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, for actually running the tournament. So, that was awesome. Yeah, and providing prize support. Well, I guess that's part of running the yeah. tournament. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, like you'd true. have someone run the tournament and then someone else provide prize support. Yep. Our uh, our buddy Brian went undefeated, uh, which was uh, amazing. And his deck was pretty much the exact same copy of the deck that he played in our first uh, sealed that we did wrong. Yeah. Uh, and in that first, was a yeah. pain in the ass. <laughs> so he already knew how to play his deck. Yeah. Uh, he was my last game of the day and he was like, Hey, I just want to tell you now, this is going to seem very familiar. Nice. How did, uh, so we, uh, there, what was the turnout? Like it was like what? 10 dozen people, something like that. Uh, it was, I think it was more than that. Was it? It was enough for a cut, even though we didn't do the cut. Right. Uh, I think it was probably somewhere around 16. Nice. I know that part of the problem too, is that there was a, like a, snowstorm like right on top of the event so driving in and everything i could see people just skipping it so i don't know if we because they they wanted to cap it at 20 um but i don't know if 20 people actually showed up just because of the storm i'm talking to our, our friend who runs the event it sounded like three had dropped and they had mostly yeah so it was about 16 people because okay all right so it was 18 people so because three okay. had dropped and they had filled the seats the other seats except for one nice. and they were at 19 so it was 18 people oh that's awesome yeah so that's a pretty huge well no it's not huge that's pretty big for what we're used to it was a, um, it was a good turnout it was yeah it was cool like again it was another situation where the only person that i played that i knew going into it was brian yeah so brian went four no how did you end up doing i went three and one and my only loss being to brian so you ended up second right yeah yeah nice how was your deck uh it was kind of like it's it's funny because brian and i were talking about it after our game it was another deck where it was just the kind of i got handed the deck that i appreciate like i was gonna appreciate it was very workhorsey it it kind of did a little bit of everything that i wanted it to be um so it was a brobnar dis untamed deck uh, the name of the deck was Khan Bruha Gustafsson. <laughs> uh, and and it was like the diss was, part of it was just mean. It was not an Annihilation Ritual deck. I did not get one of those. <laughs> but uh, I had a nice little combination with uh, Blood Money and Guilty Hearts, which I played wrong my first game. And I'm very, very sorry that I did that. Uh, I somehow interpreted Blood Money as all enemy creatures and well, let's, not let's and. read what it actually does yeah and... yeah so i was getting there oh okay sorry <laughs> so blood money is an action that's play place two from the common supply on an enemy creature see i even almost i almost read it as each enemy creature again uh but like that's just how for some reason my brain interpreted it and then right. you know we worked through it and it was yeah. it was fine. I was unfortunately very far ahead on keys in the in the game that uh, we were playing, so I'm not sure the outcome would have been different. But it still did feel bad. I ended up giving that guy 
uh, a part of my prize because a part of my prize was a um, was Amber tokens, and uh, he had just gotten into the game. He was using uh, pennies and coins <laughs> as his tokens, so. I was like, hey, man, you know, kind of make good on my mistake. And I, I gave him the, the Amber tokens, uh, which that's he was cool. very appreciative of. Yeah, well, that's um, very cool. Yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing feels worse than, that, than playing something wrong and then, like... And then realizing, realizing it afterwards. That it yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, For me, my deck was really fun. It was um, Dis and Mars, and I think Shadows is the third one, which was... Oh, yeah, it was Shadows, because I had Shadow Self in it. Um, but the Mars synergy in that deck was fantastic. I was using the, um, the Zima think drone. It's a Mars creature with three power. Uh, when you reap with it, you can archive a friendly creature or artifact. And so I would like, they'd be, they'd hit for one of my think drones for two damage. I just have it archive itself. So it would come back fully healed. And with Mars being able to archive other Mars creatures was phenomenal because then I had a huge hand of Mars when I needed it for like orbital bombardments. Yeah. Uh, orbital bombardment being a card, uh, I'm not going to get every single word on it, but in short, you play orbital bombardment, reveal Mars cards from your hand, and then you do two damage to uh, creatures, um, however many you want. Uh, based on how many cards you reveal. So if you reveal four cards, you do eight total damage in increments of two. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the Think Drone was great because I'd archive a creature, I'd reap with it, archive a creature, draw the creature into my hand the next turn, play Orbital Bombardment to do extra damage, play the creature again. Um, and I had Brainstem, uh, Brainstem Antenna, which was an upgrade that, so you you play the antenna on a creature. And then when you play another Mars creature, that creature gets readied, the, the upgraded creature gets readied and becomes a Mars creature. So if you have cards that care about how many Mars creatures you have in play, um, that guy counts now as a Martian. Uh, but the cool thing is that he becomes ready. So I had a silver tooth with a, uh, which just a, a shadows creature. What it does doesn't matter. Um, so I had, a, I had the silver tooth with an antenna on it. And then I had been archiving Mars creatures with my Think Drones. And so I had a turn where I was able to just reap with it, play a creature, reap with it, play a creature. And actually, I had to, I had to keep track of how much Ember I had generated with it because I, I almost ran into the rule of six with him in a single turn. Huh. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, but that was so that made the deck fun. I love synergy like that. Um, but the other cool thing the deck had is it had Key Hammer plus Ember Spider. So... Ember Spider is a seven power Mars creature um, that deals no damage in when fighting. Uh, and while it's in play, any Ember that would go to your opponent's uh, Ember pool gets captured by the Ember Spider instead. I'm sorry, I keep saying Ember Spider because it's written in the show notes that way. It's Ether Spider. Ether Spider. Uh, let me fix that because I'm going to just look at it and refer to it again. There we go. Ether Spider. So any Ember your opponent would generate that would go to their pool gets captured by the Ether Spider instead. Key Hammer is a discard uh, that when you play it, um, your if if you if your opponent forged a key last turn, they unforge that key, and then they gain six Ember. But you got to be careful because if you play Key Hammer and they didn't forge a key, they still get six Ember. So you deprive them of nothing and just give them six Ember. So the way that that synergy works, Key Hammer plus Ether Spider, they forged their key, I hit them with the hammer, they unforge their key, but since the Ether Spider is in play, the six ember that would go to them instead gets captured by the Ether Spider. Yep. 
So they lose the key and lose the ember until they can deal with the ether spider. And I managed to do it in such a way. Well, I, their their deck was uh, had pretty much run out of hard removal at that point. So they just had no way of dealing with that ether spider. And I was able to, to close the game out. It felt really mean and really rude. And those are my favorite things to do. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a blast. It was a great time. I'm yeah. really looking forward to more uh, more events like that. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. It'll be uh, they, the versions had talked about doing some Archon stuff in the future, uh, so we're I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then all of this talk about the Vault Tour, the Vault Tour kind of like there's two Vault Tours going on right now at the same time. Like Seattle was going on, and then I forget the other one. Uh, it's Eindhoven. So it's ECCC is the one in Seattle, which is the Emerald City Comic Con. Yep. Uh, and then in Eindhoven. So uh, there's been some more news out of FFG. Nothing too too crazy, but uh, we now have a release date target for uh, Age of Ascension. Looks like uh, it should be released somewhere around the uh, late May, uh, which they also then announced that Call of the Archons will no longer be printed once Age of Ascension comes out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Call of the Archons in the sense of like, thinking about how magic does their older sets so if you have you know like zendikar if you go look at a box of zendikar now it's like a billion dollars i'm pretty sure yeah uh but so it'll be interesting to see how call of the archons goes up in price if it or if at all well um, and this is where that stops so they've already said that call of archons um decks are still going to be playable in perpetuity right so this is where that becomes a double-edged sword because as they make new sets and certain cards are not printed, um, like let's say uh, library access is never printed again. And then um, decks come out down the roads, like three or four sets from now that have uh, cards in them, which are weak against library access. Then all of a sudden you have people rushing to buy call the archons decks to get more of those library access type things. Um, problem being they're no longer being printed. Yeah, it's gonna definitely change the secondary market too. I, I believe since they've you know they've kind of come out and said that they're not gonna pr- print call the archons decks. Um, you're gonna well, they're gonna definitely see they, the the prices of those decks go up in price. I don't think they said they would no longer print call of the archons. I think that they said that they will stop printing call of the archons, which seems like like I'm saying the same thing twice. But I think what it means is that they're opening themselves up, or at least. I'm probably reading too much into it, but it sounds like they might be leaving themselves the option of Call of the Archons being printed again in the future. Just for now, they're no longer going to print it. It still kind of results in the same thing, right? Like, if you're looking at this at face value, Call of the Archons will, like, the Call of the Archons decks will end up being kind of sought after in a way because they're oh, not yeah. being printed anymore. Or at least for now. Like, I. I Honestly, I don't see a point in them going back to the well, but I guess right. in theory they could because this is all driven by an algorithm and they don't need to fake printing rarity and I don't know. No, but here's yeah, and that that's true. Like a rare isn't really like it, it since you can't take that rare and use it anywhere else, there is no inherent value in a rare. Right. Compared to a common. Like rares and commons are equally valuable, which is kind of ingenious. But um the thing is they would need to save a version of that algorithm and not touch it in order to truly reprint Call of the Archons in the future. 
So, and, and which they may have done. It's it's interesting because like even now at this time, the, they're changing that algorithm constantly on the fly, right? Yeah. So even printings of like the the printings that you're receiving of Call of the Archons now are different than the printings that were being you know shipped out in December, right? Uh, like for example, there's no racist names. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we also ended up seeing our first uh, our first legacy card, uh, which is Magda the Rat, which also yeah. means that Magda the Rat's not being printed in uh, Age of Ascension. Yep. So poor Magda. poor Magda. She's retired. You know what? She's earned a vacation. That's fair. All that thieving and stealing. It's you know, if anything, it's kind of like the end of Ocean's Eleven, where like you know they've they've pulled off. She's pulled off her heist. She's just going to go retire. She's got her money. She's got her amber. And, uh, you know, just going to go to her villa in Italy and relax. And then make four more movies. And then make four more movies because she just, you know, she's got that itch. Yeah, can't get out that's of the what game. The legacy, that's what the legacy card is. It's like she's got that itch and she has to she has to come back into the game for one more job. Fair. Oh, hey. <laughs> one last job. There we go. There you go. I got the name wrong. <laughs> so um, our experience this uh past weekend with um granted gaming summit and a lot of people's current experience at e triple c and eindhoven will be with sealed um as a format and so one of the things as i was kind of going through and trying to evaluate my deck i i'd open it up i'd look at my archon card and i'm like i am so bad at this i am just like trying to figure out like my, my initial reaction is just like why oh, am i even looking at my archon card i have no idea what i'm doing but i stopped and i kind of thought about it a little bit more and, and since then i've thought even more because i i really don't want that to be my next experience when i go to another sealed event um and so i came up with some ideas for how to evaluate your sealed deck and i know other people have done this as well and so i'm not saying this method is necessarily better worse or anything else even that this is necessarily a method although i do name it and give it a name of <laughs> method um but one of the things that's really important with sealed is you don't have a ton of time. You open your deck, you have, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, I think, um, you have to look at it. Two minutes to look you over your, your arc. Over card. your sealed? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, it was a little bit different on how we did it at Granite Game Summit, to be yeah. fair, uh, because it I was think... like they were actively re they were registering the decks for um, – uh, so the one thing I, I don't I think we failed to mention at the top was that uh, this is also a chain bound event, so those yes. decks got chained up almost immediately. Yeah, uh, sure the, did. And the thing that uh, they they did do is they were doing was they were opening the decks, registering them in gem, and then handing them back to the player and just saying like, "Hey, don't open it until we say." But they gave everybody a little bit of extra time, I think, because it was a lot of new people as well. Like these were a lot of the people that attended were either people who are way into KeyForge or just learned about KeyForge at Granite Game Summit. <laughs> Yep. So, so it was, I mean, there was no like middle ground. It was everybody who was just like, this is the <laughs> game I play or I'm new. And here yeah. we go. I think that you, I mean, and, and it's going to depend on the event, the venue that you're at. Like sometimes you might have two minutes and it's getting, uh, it's like, you know, real hard and fast getting you going. Yeah. Other times you might have 10 minutes. Like we had, I don't know, we had like 10, 20 minutes after the, um, after they handed us the decks because they're like you can open the box they had to open the box but don't open the packaging right so you know you had time to look at your archon card and kind of look cards up and everything like that um but anyway my point is before you get into it i had that same kind of thought that you had in which i looked at my deck and i read through the cards and 
And here I am at the beginning of the episode telling you, like, I really liked this deck. When I first looked at it, I was like, okay, like this, I'm going to probably have a hard time here. And it wasn't until like I sat down, I, I like, I just completely miss misjudged what I had going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until I sat down and started running through it. I was like, oh, okay. I see what's going on here. Uh, that, that kind of took me to the point of being three and oh, you know? Totally fair. It's it's really, really easy to misjudge a deck and have it turn out better than you expected. Right. Um, I mean, that's one of the nice things about Keyforge is that, like, you can you can run the numbers and look at card evaluation and deck evaluation sites and everything, but they're not perfect. They're never going to be perfect. So you're going to get these, you know, decks that just come out of nowhere and outperform expectations, numerical expectations or anything else, which is great. Um so, uh, you've opened up your sealed deck, you're looking at your Archon, and you're starting to freak out a little bit because um, you don't have a lot of time to figure out what your deck is going to do, if it's any good, anything like that, uh, and you're afraid that you're going to go 0-4 at this event, right? Well, first thing to keep in mind is that the bar for sealed is lower than the bar for Archon. A deck in sealed doesn't have to be amazing. Um, I mean, really, it's kind of like uh, like the old joke, how do you uh, how do you outrun a bear? Well, you don't outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other guy. And that's what sealed is like. You don't have to beat the best decks. I don't have to have a deck that beats the best decks out there. It doesn't have to have a library access combo. It doesn't have to have, uh, you know, triple uh, the Mars fleet card that lets you draw your entire deck. Like, you don't need these crazy, crazy things. You just need to have a deck that's better than most of the other people in the event. I mean, the perfect example is, like, our first actual Chainbound event is our friend pulled a library access combo deck and went, you know, in, in went one and three. Yeah. If you have that, or I mean, I guess this is kind of going to your next point about personal skill mattering, and not that Brian doesn't have personal skill. I mean, it's just, like, experience, right? Like, if you look at his experience at, at Granite Games Summit, you know, he got a deck that had a bunch of cards in it that he was very comfortable with. So yep. he was just able to, like you said, outrun that bear by yep. just being like, I know what this is going to do for me and I know how to pilot it. So here we go. I'm going to go at it. And he went four and oh, you yep. know, kind of the same thing with my deck. It was just like, there's a lot of cards that I was comfortable with outside of the two that I screwed up or the one that I screwed yep. up. But, you know, it was just like, I was comfortable with this combination of cards. And so I just ran with it. Yeah, and I think I think that's the point of that is no matter what cards are or are not in your deck, the best sealed deck uh, is going to be piloted by the more skilled player. Right. So you could have two decks. Uh, you could have the, the best deck in the sealed pool and the worst deck in the sealed pool, and the worst deck could win the whole thing four and zero just because of the person piloting it is a really good player yep um so personal skill matters get your get your games in practice um i mean it's not gonna it's not gonna let you steal it well it might let you steal a couple games here and there but um if you're in the other situation where you don't have a lot of time to play you're very unskilled or anything else keep in mind that you know even if you evaluate your deck uh and i don't mean this to sound bad but it, it might just be you like you might not you might not have the skill and the experience you need, which is totally fine. The only way to get that skill and get that experience is to play and lose. You learn more by losing than you do by winning. Right. So, you know, just beat your head against that wall until you break through. Um, so all of those caveats aside, 
we want to look at what cards do you have. So now you're not maybe so freaked out. You've remembered my sultry voice telling you to to not worry about the uh, <laughs> the cards in your deck so much. But what cards do you have? And so we've coined, well, I've coined, uh, Steve, I think, is groaning at my naming here. Uh, but I've coined the Brad method, named after, you know, the Brad from Fantasy Flight Games that helped develop uh, Keyforge. Maybe you've heard of it. So the Brad method breaks down to the B is for... Uh, Bombs, beatdown. It's kind of two Bs, but whatever. We're cheating. Uh, so bombs and beatdowns. The R is for removal. The A is for ember. And the D is for disruption. So we'll go over those a little bit. So for bombs and beatdown, bombs you don't have to worry about too, too much. It's just be aware of them. You want to be aware of your rares. Most of a deck's power comes in at the uncommon and common because you'll have multiple copies of things. You'll see those uh, throughout. A rare, you might see your rare in a game. You might not. It depends on how fast your deck will draw through itself and everything else. So you can't count on the rares. Plus, your deck may or may not have synergy with a rare. Um, it might have synergy, and that's why you just want to be aware of it. But Again, your power is going to come at the uncommon and common slot. So bombs aren't really a thing. That's why we're cheating and lumping it in with beatdown. Also, because I don't want to call it the Brad method. That just sounds weird. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely um, cards like I, it, it, I'm just going to as we're going through this, I'll probably just reference my own deck that I, I played. Mm -hmm. But like barehanded is a rare in, in, in my <gasps> deck, right? It is a good card because in the sense because at most I'm going to run into artifacts at every seat, right? So it's good to know that I have this card because while I don't have a ton of great artifact removal, I have this one way of just being like, all right, hey, you know what? I have artifacts too. I'm going to lose them. That's fine. But they're going to lose the ones that are going to give me the problems. So like, you know, I had an opponent who had a safe space. And I just barehanded his safe space away, you know, things like that. So like, that's a great example of, of a, a, a rare that you're going to look at and be like, oh, this is, I'm going to need to know when I can use this. That's a really good point. What also uh, does Barehanded do? I've actually never seen it. It's uh, it's that's it. It gives you a bonus amber, and it says play put each artifact on top of its owner stack. Oh, okay, okay, cool. And so with any board wipe, um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more in the removal, but it it bears some um, uh, some explanation here. With any board wipe, uh, gateway to disc, key to disc, um, Barehanded, uh, you if you're the one controlling it you can make it more advantageous to yourself. Like if you have something that destroys all creatures, you just stop playing creatures, but they're still playing creatures. So even though it kills your creatures, when you play a gateway to this, it's going to hurt them more than you because you've been playing around it more than they have. Yeah. I mean, in my deck gauntlet of command is the only artifact I have. So playing yeah. barehanded is like not a big, deal. not a big deal. Cause it's like, okay, I'm just going to replay gauntlet of command next turn. <laughs> Where you probably had, you know, you might have, when I dropped it, you might have had three and they might have all been from different houses. And now you have to pick, well, what order am I bringing these back out in? You know, what, you know, right. it's that, that, that bad decision making that you have to put your opponent in where it's just like, I don't know where, you know, if, if you're dropping like invasion sigil where, you know, that's a pain in the butt card. Uh, but at the same time, it's just like, well, I'm going to play that at some point anyway. And it's just going to ruin life for everybody anyway. So it's not a huge yeah. deal, but. Uh, the other card that I had in my deck that I wanted to as like maybe as an example of a bad rare, even though it actually kind of worked out for me in this deck was Guilty Hearts, where it's mm -hmm. uh, that's another card that gives me a bonus amber. So not bad in that sense, because uh, it still gets me an amber, but it's play destroy each creature with any amber on it. So like thinking about that, it's like this is a cool board wipe. I can definitely uh, plan it in my favor, but at the same time. 
what if my opponent just has no capture? Yeah. You know, like, I, I, the only time I ever got to play Guilty Hearts was either for the Amber or it was that I blood muddied somebody the turn before. Right. Like, and then it was just like, and cool, I got two Amber out of the deal. You know? It's, yeah, and that's that's the... That's a great example of why, you know, be aware of your rare, but don't count on it because sometimes you get decks, you get, you get rares that are situational yeah. um, and you really don't want to play around them. You just want to be aware they exist in case you run into an opponent that, you know, can go up against it, but yep. um, where it can work, uh, be advantageous for you to play it. But, you know, some of them are just, yeah, like you said, you're, you're not getting a lot of mileage out of them in every game. Uh, so right. the other half of the B category, beatdown. This is the one that's more important to be aware of than than your rares, but, you know. Um, creature count is, uh, so your beatdown is your creature count. It's your ability to beatdown. Um, also, your ability to generate ember, because creatures do double duty in that regard. Uh, total count of creatures, the average across most Keyforge decks is 16 or 17 creatures. So if you're in that 16, 17, maybe 15, maybe 18 window, um, then you, you've got an average creature count. Uh, the minimum you want is probably around 14, and the maximum is probably 19. And when I say minimum and maximum, obviously decks can go below that. I have a deck that's got like 22 creatures or 21 creatures, so obviously those aren't the actual functional minimum and maximums. But the thing is, if you have too few creatures, then you need to rely on other ways to generate ember. If you have too many creatures, well, now you're susceptible to uh, removal. You're really, really weak to removal, and that opens you up. Um, plus, you don't if you have that many creatures, creatures are the only way you can remove other creatures. You don't have a lot of removal spells. You don't have a lot of utility spells, card drawing. Uh, if you have that many creatures, you probably don't have a lot of ways to steal or capture their ember, depending on the creatures, obviously. Um, and not saying that decks with below 14 creatures or over 19 creatures can be good or bad, but we're just looking at this in the, the light of a sealed deck just to get an idea. Um, there's always going to be exceptions to all of these rules in a seal, you know, the possibility of an exception uh, in a sealed deck. Um, but these are just kind of things to look out for. Ideally, you want that 16 to 17 creature count. Uh, if you do hit that 14 or you do hit that 19, just make sure you look at your other areas to see if your deck makes up for the high or low creature count. Um, you want to count by house how many creatures you have. Uh, that way you just know which of your, your houses is your creature house. A lot of times decks will have a high number of creatures in a single house and then an average to low number in the other two houses. Um, or maybe even like, you know, one really high number, then a slightly lower number, and then an even lower number. So just be aware of where your creature counts are, because that'll that'll come into play with your deck counts and everything else when you're planning on your, your upcoming turns. Um, you know, like, okay, well, I've got to play these things now, because next turn I'm going to be getting more of them, because I have a lot of creatures. So be aware, especially with something like Mars. So yeah, I ended up with 18 creatures in total, uh, with Dis being the kind of workhorse on the the creature side but none of my creatures were were mm -hmm. that big um i mean the, the biggest creature i had on that side was like three pit demons and a uh the terror which that made my you know that at least gave me some like offensive power and then when it came to like brobnar was like my second most with five it looks like one two three four five yeah and then I had five in uh, Untamed with, like, my biggest creature being Snufflegator, which is he, he's a four-power creature with Skirmish. Uh, so he was at least offensive-y, but none of the other uh, Untamed creatures I had were really offensive-y. 
So it was just like I had to balance it between Dis right. and Brobnar and kind of using Untamed to support those two. Yep, and knowing that ahead of time means that right from game one, right from turn one, you know your strategy. You know that Brobnar and Dis are going to be your creature houses. And creatures are probably they're probably the number one way to repeatedly generate ember so creatures win games you have them out you can destroy your uh, opponent's creatures with them by fighting that ruins their ability to make ember um if you have uh, a lot of creatures in a particular house you can just keep calling the house and keep reaping that's what happened with my mars i had you know a handful of six non-mars creature or non-mars cards and i just kept calling mars because they weren't dealing with my board and i had like four mars creatures out so i would just reap get four ember next turn reap get four ember and i would never change the cards in my hand but until they dealt with my ability to generate four ember every turn i really didn't need any other cards yeah, I had a very similar situation with, uh, actually, weirdly, yeah. Untamed, where I had uh, all of the Untamed creatures on the board. He just was not drawing anything to remove them, he, and he and I was being able, I was able to actively control out what he was doing. So I would reap for five, pull regrowth back <laughs> to my hand, regrowth a disc creature that had been destroyed, or you know, like uh, you know, pull a card uh, out of my discard pile with regrowth so every turn for for two turns i generated six amber yeah <laughs> with that you know it's it, it, there's it's a it's yeah. a tough Features thing to are, are huge uh when yeah, you can't remove are a huge them. part of the game um in in sealed creatures are a huge part of the game in sealed because you don't it, outside of sealed and archon on crucible when you're playing um you'll run into decks that can get tons of ember just through playing other cards and you might only see a couple creatures out there that are only intended to slow you down but in sealed that's going to be more right. of an exception um so you're going to deal with creatures you're going to have creatures you're going to need to deal with creatures so when it comes time to deal with your opponent's creatures, um, since we've already established they're pretty valuable and they're great for generating ember, you need removal. So that's where the R in the Brad method comes in, um, is removing those creatures, is cutting their resources out from under them. Uh, one of my favorite things to say is you've got, in any Keyforge game, you have two sides to a coin. Um, the the metaphor for a Keyforge game is it's really like a foot race or a, a you know, a racing game where there's a finish line. You're both trying to get to that finish line before the other person. So you've got cards that generate speed, and then you've got cards that stumble your opponent. Um, removal is that stumble category. So in removal, you've got hard removal, soft removal, and then mass removal, which can be either of those other things. Uh, hard removal are things like key to dis, where it's just straight up destroy a creature. It might be conditional because it can't hit a flank creature. All creatures. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking... I mean, hand of hand of is, is destroy a non-flank creature. So it's conditional, but it's no questions asked. That guy's done. He might have 25 armor somehow. A uh, lot of bulwarks, I guess. Um, <laughs> and he's still just as dead. Soft removal is damage-based. So that's your uh, nerve blast, your relentless whispers, um, your seeker needles. So those are soft removal. Uh, the average power of creatures in Keyforge, if you take every creature in Keyforge, if you don't count armor, um, the average power is four. It's like 3.89 or something. So if you have a piece of soft removal, if you have a uh, an action that deals four or more damage, you can kind of count that as hard removal because it's going to be able to utterly kill most creatures. Um, 
I'd even say possibly three damage might be enough to kill most creatures, but you know, mass removal and stun, uh, or mass removal, mass stun, um, are important. They also kind of count as hard removal, soft removal. Uh, I look at things like uh, exhausting creatures and stunning creatures as soft removal because even though it does uh, deal with the creature regardless of their power, it doesn't deal with them permanently, but it does slow them down. Um, and then stuff like gateway to dis and key to dis are just mass removal. They're going to get rid of everything, and they are considered hard removal. So where would you put things like, uh, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but where would you put things like fear or lights out where it's returning a creature to your opponent's hand? So those would be mass soft removal. So they're uh, they're mass in the sense that they hit multiple targets. I, I guess mass is maybe like more than one. Um, so they hit multiple things. Well, not fear. Sorry, fear only hits one thing. But hysteria, um, lights out, uh, lost in the woods. Um, those are multi-target removals. But they're soft removal because you're going to have that problem again in the future. The trick yeah. to soft removal, or, or not soft removal in general, because soft removal can be damaged. The trick to bounces, the trick to stuns, is to set up your opponent to fail. So bounce creatures from multiple houses. Because if you just bounce uh, like two, three untamed creatures, that means that on their following turn, they just call untamed and they put those creatures back down. I mean, sure, you cost them a turn. They couldn't rape with them. They couldn't fight with them. They couldn't use any abilities on them. But they still just got to do it again. You... Uh, you really didn't do anything. I mean, I mean, slowing them down. But if you if you do if you bounce a sanctum creature and an untamed creature, well, now you're spreading that out across multiple turns. They have to call maybe sanctum next turn, play the sanctum creature, and then untamed the following turn and play the untamed creature. That may not even be their best play. So that untamed creature may be gone for multiple turns because they don't. It's not worth it to them to play untamed again until later on. So if you, if at all possible, you want to hit multiple things and if you only have one target uh with something like fear uh, which is a discard that you return an enemy creature to its opponent's hand uh well sorry if it's an enemy creature it's obviously your opponent's um to its owner's hand uh so even if that's that one creature you kind of look at their board maybe even look at their discard pile and see what house they might want to call next and then bounce something outside of that house uh, obviously, assuming you, they don't have something that's just ridiculously strong that's going to wreck you, then you, you probably just want to bounce that. Right. There's just a lot of things like it, like that's a good like hard like hard rule to like when you're looking at the board. But like there's definitely situations that I can see where you would want to bounce two from the same house. Like sure. in a situation where like your opponent has a, a succubus and a snudge on the table, but then they also yeah. have a, a dust pixie like. I'm not yeah. going to bounce the succubus and the dust pixie. <laughs> I'm going to bounce the two disc creatures because a, those are a major problem for me uh, going forward. But then on top of that, bouncing that dust pixie gives them two more Amber, you know, right? because it, it generates two Amber when it, when it comes into play. So right. that's, yeah, that's not one you want to bounce. <laughs> right. Uh, there's um, actually another to, to kind of go back to what you were saying with just like bad decisions. Uh, I actually, and I, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I had a game where I had played against an opponent who had uh, True Baru, which is a seven power creature. Uh, you must lose three Amber in order to play True Baru. Then it has Taunt. Then when he's destroyed, you gain five. So he had that on the table. And then I lights out that and something else. So now he was like, if I play that again, I have to lose three more Amber. And when it just gets destroyed, I only gain five back. Yeah. So he lose he net loses one amber for playing that card. Yep. So 
it, that's just another thing where like soft removal ends up being hard removal in that sense because now he you know that or i'm i'm assuming whatever uh now that person has to look and go is it worth me losing a, another three amber to put a seven power taunt creature down so we uh we are obviously talking about how to evaluate your seal deck and we've just gone into how to play your removal but that's part of just defining what hard removal, soft removal, and mass removal is. Because when you're evaluating your deck, when you're looking at your Archon card and you're identifying, okay, I have a Hand of Dis, I have a Nerve Blast, I have Relentless Whispers or Poison Wave or Orbital Bombardment. Now you know what to categorize those as. You know, they're hard removal, soft removal, mass removal. Right. Uh, are they stuns or exhaust? But, and now that you kind of, we've gone over what the different kinds of removal are, you can look at your card and figure out like, where the strengths are does it have a lot of these removal maybe you're looking at your card and you're like oh man i have tons of removal but all of your removal is soft removal which means that if they get a if they get a couple bulwarks out your removal is useless um because a, a, a poison wave a uh, uh sacrificial pawn anything that's dealing damage to these bulwarks is just not going to cut the mustard like it would against non-sanctum Right. Um, so be aware of the kinds of removal you have and how much removal you have. Uh, we'll get into why the amount of removal you have is important later, because it'll change the way you play your deck. Um, so, so far we've gone down, uh, beat down your creature count. Uh, we've gone to different kinds of removal, because um, you'll need to know those. Uh, the next up is Ember. How much Ember can your deck just make? Not including creatures, because obviously reaping creatures is great. Um, if a creature generates ember when it comes into play um like the uh the dust pixie generates two ember when it comes into play um you can count those creatures under this category because there's nothing your opponent can do to stop you from getting that ember whereas reaping they can always kill it before you have a chance to use it um bonus ember on cards like say you have a wild wormhole well that's got a bonus ember you have lab work that's got bonus ember um you have virtuous works well it's got three bonus ember any of these cards fall under that bonus ember category. Uh, also included in this category are steel effects, because not only does steel take away from your opponent, it still gives you an ember. So uh, bait and switch, not only is that a disruption, uh, you know, our, our D category, um, but it's also part of this amber category because you will get ember out of it. Um, cards that, yeah, so cards that, that steel are also part of this. Uh, this can make up for a, a low creature count. So if you're in that minimum, if you've got 14, 13 creatures, um, but you have a ton of Ember generation cards, um, maybe out of your 14 creatures, you've got three Dust Pixies. Maybe you've got a couple Virtuous Works. Uh, maybe you have other ways to steal Ember off of your opponent pretty reliably. Then it might be okay to have a low creature count because you can make up for it and still forge your keys using this Ember. If you have a low creature count and you have a low Ember count, you are really going to have a tough time. Um, I don't know too many decks that can can get by with a really low creature count and a really low ember count because end of the day, you still need to reach the finish line at some point. And most decks are going to be able to outrace you if you don't have this speed Yeah, uh, I of think, having creatures and ember. I think that's going to be less common than, a lot of, than you might think uh, just because a majority of actions do give you a bonus amber. Yep. Um, there are very few, and usually the ones that don't give you a bonus amber when you play them generally have some amber effect on them already, or they're just so powerful that it's like giving you an amber on top of doing this ridiculous thing is, you know, like 
uh, a good example is like Collar of Subordination has, you know, it's a upgrade. Well, actually, that's not what I mean. That's an up. I'm uh, sorry. That's an upgrade. Um, but it still counts under Ember. <clears throat> yeah, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because like there's another upgrade is Flame Wreath that gives you an Amber. Uh, this mm-hmm. creature gets two plus two power and gains Hazardous too. Uh, and then Call of Subordination doesn't because it's just a powerful effect. But at the same time, you look at that card. It's like, okay, but that puts that creature under my control. Now I can reap with that. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to be like, I think a deck that's low on creatures is probably not going to be low on Amber Generation. Right, because if you have fewer creatures, you've got more of other things. The The tricky part is when those other things are removal and disruption and not actually generating ember. Right. That's when you've got a really hard time. But you can still work around that. That puts you into, and we're going to come up with deck classifications in a minute here, but that puts you as a, a control deck. And that's right. still, you can still win. Um, but you need to know that that's what your deck is is heading toward before you know you sit down for your first game. Exactly. So, uh, so that brings us to the last letter of our, our Brad method here, D for disruption. So disruption is anything um, that kind of slows your opponent down. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that there's kind of two halves to a Keyforge game. There's speed and there's stumble. Uh, disruption is that stumble. So speed is your creatures and your ember. Uh, stumble is your removal and your disruption. Those are the things that, you know, they put the, the stick in your opponent's bike wheel to uh, slow them down a little bit maybe make them fall on their face. <laughs> so disruption encompasses uh, a variety of effects. It's your steel and your capture effects. Um, we're counting steel here too, because while it does give you ember, it also takes away their ember, which you know is kind of what they need to make keys. Um, so it's steel and capture effects. Uh, it's card disadvantage. Um, and then it's, it's also bounce and stun, because that's depriving them of the ability to generate ember using the things that you have bounced and or stunned uh and i, I know we've mentioned bounce a few times i that, i realize that's not actually a keyforge term that comes from our magic background um probably should have clarified this sooner bounce is a magic term it's whenever you return a creature to its uh, or really whenever you return anything to its owner's hand so if you play fear which is a discard that you uh, return an enemy creature to its owner's hand that's called bouncing it um and i don't remember why i think it's just because it kind of like going from the table up to their hand it almost looks like it's bouncing off the table off a trampoline into your hand maybe yeah. that's where it came from yeah so whenever you hear anyone talk about bouncing that's what that means it's just returning to hand maybe we should uh try to stop using that that term i don't think it i i think it's pretty ubiquitous across pretty the, like, i don't okay. even think that's just a magic thing like i'm right pretty okay. sure it's ubiquitous across all card games Good. I don't want to stop using because I'm going to I'm going to make a mistake and just keep using it anyway. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, <laughs> so you've got bounce and stun as your last uh, kind of disruption. Um, so steal and capture effects are really important uh, in any deck. You so you've got your you've got your beatdowns. You've got removal. Maybe you don't have a lot of removal. Um, you've got some ember. You really need some amount of disruption unless your deck is blisteringly fast like you can get three keys in three turns you need disruption because the average sealed deck or the average deck in general um that you're going to run into is going to be probably just as fast as yours give or take uh it's going to depend on a little bit of skill a little bit of that removal that comes up and it's going to come down to who draws what cards in what order and and all things being equal disruption is going to be what will tilt the game in your favor um you could if you can keep your opponent at five ember for three turns in a row and forge a key as a result you're now way ahead 
whether that's by stealing or capturing, you know, what have you. Um, so stealing and capturing huge. You want to identify if you have those and you want to make sure you use them correctly. Um, you want to make sure you don't use them when they've got like, you know, playing playing old Bruno when their opponent only has three ember is not as impactful as playing old Bruno when your opponent has six, seven, eight ember. Right. Um, because they've planned on forging that key at that point. So if you if you play old Bruno and you capture their three ember when they only have three ember, well, they were already planning on generating more ember. So their actual, their game plan hasn't really changed. It's just slowed down. Right. If you play old Bruno when they've got six, seven, eight ember and you prevent them from forging that key, well, in their head, they already had that key forged. So they were stepping ahead to a new plan of, okay, so I've got one key. What's my next move? And now they have to go back and almost go back in time to earlier turns and redo what they'd already done. Um, not always, but you know, yeah. uh, so playing it when they're close to a key is, is probably better than playing when they're far away from a key. Uh, even psychologically, even from a morale perspective, it's just disheartening to be like, all right, I got my first key and then bam, you don't have your key. Right. Sorry. <laughs> um, card disadvantage is huge. Uh, cards like succubus, which, um, it's a disc creature that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. It's a disc creature that makes it so your opponent draws one fewer cards uh, at the end of their turn. Um, Subtle Maul is a Shadows artifact that when you uh, use it as an action, um, they randomly discard one of the cards from their hand. Um, there is a... Uh, man. Mind Barb is the other like one you're thinking game. of. Mind, Mind Barb is another one. It's Subtle Maul, except it's an action instead of an artifact. Um, and then there's a Toxin. There we go. Toxin is a disc creature that has the same ability as Subtle Maul uh, when you reap with it. So these i mean you may you may be like well i mean they're just discarding a random card it's not that big of a deal but it is that's kind of like saying you had one fewer cards uh drawn at the end of your last turn yep so it's kind of like you know instead of having six cards in their hand now they have five if you stack these effects if you get a succubus out and you have a subtle maul now they've only got four cards to work with which is ridiculous yeah i've had a couple of games where i've had two succubus out and then a toxin and just it's like okay my that person's next turn is a three card hand yeah it's it's gross uh so stacking disruption effects is huge um bounce and stun effects are are really important as well as long as you use them correctly and we talked a little bit about that when you do in the removal category when you do bounce when you do stun you want to try to split it up so that they can't just undo your work in a single turn i mean sometimes you won't have that choice and sometimes hitting everything of the same house is the right thing or the only thing because the card is restricted to only hitting one house um and that's fine like you know that that's not that that's not acceptable but you get the most mileage you get the most bang for your buck by hitting it across multiple houses right uh because then it just takes them so long to build that back out um so you've got those four categories we've got our brad categories here beatdown removal ember and disruption and you kind of want um a little bit of all of them in an archon event you can kind of pick and choose decks that maybe are extreme in one or two categories and go with that. But in sealed, it's almost better to kind of have a little bit of everything. You need an average amount of creatures. You don't want too few or too many. Um, you want some removal, but not a ton of removal. Uh, you want, you know, a good amount of ember, but, you know, maybe not too much ember. Because the more you have of any card type, the less you have of other card types. Yeah, at best you're looking um, for a take, like, at best you're looking for a take-all-comers deck. Yeah, I, I think worst-case scenario, you could get away with having uh, a lot of creatures, 
a small amount of removal and a a good amount of disruption and not a lot of bonus ember. And I think that would be okay. I think the two most important things are disruption and creatures. Yeah. I mean, again, if you look at the top two decks of that, uh, of our sealed event, they were just, yeah, they were just creatures. take all comers decks. Like the, yeah. the winning deck had three or it was like two or three uh, bulwarks in there just to keep the, yep. his board alive. And then all he did was just play the game like normally. He didn't have anything he didn't have anything spectacular or fancy. He just had that just wall of meat that he could yeah. that allowed him to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. So so now you've gone through the Brad method. You've kind of figured out, okay, how many creatures do I have? What's my beat down? How many creatures do I have? Um, you've gone through and seen, okay, I have some removal. I know what my removal is. Uh, I know what my, my ember generation is like. Um, and I know what my disruption is. So where does that put me? What do I do with this information? Well, the numbers, and you don't have to literally count. You can just get a vague sense. Um, but the 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 strengths and weaknesses of your deck, the amount of cards you have in each of those categories are what's going to tell you how to play your deck. If you have a lot of creatures and a lot of Ember generation and a very, very low amount of removal and disruption, well, you're in a racing deck. Uh, other games might call it an aggro deck. Um, it's a little le- Aggro is a little less fitting because you're not actually trying to lower an opponent's life total, so racing kind of seems better. But you're in a speed deck. Your deck's whole goal is to try to ignore the opponent and use your creatures for reaping and get Ember as fast as possible, as often as possible, and just get your keys before your opponent has a chance to stop you. Right. If you have a deck that is really high on removal and disruption, maybe it's got an okay amount of creatures, maybe it's got an okay amount of Ember, um, but if you're really high on that removal and disruption front, then you're playing a control deck. Your deck is going to be slower. And your deck strength is the exact opposite of a racing deck. Instead of trying to be the first one to the finish line, you know that you will get to the finish line before your opponent because you can just tie your opponent's shoelaces together and they're never going to get to the finish line. That's what a control deck does. It doesn't try to be the fast one to the finish line. It's the, uh, it's the, you know, the villain of the race that's trying to slow everyone down and trip them and throw banana peels out onto the, uh, the field so that everyone else falls down and you're the only one left that can get to the finish line that's your control deck and then mid-range decks as the name implies sit in the middle they've got an average amount of everything so they can kind of pivot depending on what cards they get um they're going to be really good against uh probably probably racing decks i think because they can slow down the racing deck um so here's your here's your paper rock scissors racing decks will usually beat control decks because racing decks are usually going to be too fast for a control deck. They're going to have too many ways to generate Ember too often. And the control deck just is not going to have enough removal and disruption to stop every single thing that the racing deck is doing. So a racing deck usually has the edge on a control deck. Um, Mid-range decks usually have the edge on a racing deck because where control decks can remove things, they don't have a, a lot of ways to put out a lot of ember and catch up in the race. Um, They rely on just stalling the other person and just making them stumble. Mid-range decks have a little bit of that as well, but they also have the ability to generate ember. So they're going to be able to stumble the racing deck enough and then catch up and then keep pace. So they they usually have a little bit of uh, an edge against racing decks. Um, And then control decks usually beat mid-range decks because the control deck has tons of uh, removal and tons of disruption, which means that 
the Ember generation the mid-range deck has falls into uh, the the amount, the quantity that a control deck can easily deal with. And then the control deck can just pull ahead after that. And the control deck doesn't have enough threats for the mid-range deck's removal and disruption to, you know, really matter. Right. So you've kind of got racing beats control, mid-range beats racing, control beats mid-range. Now, obviously, player skill is a huge part of it. Uh, the variance of what cards you draw and when the, you draw them is a huge part of it. And even just you know, all racing decks are not created equal. All control decks are not created equal, etc. Your, your your card quality is a huge part of that too. Yeah. But at least hopefully what we, what we did with this was give you a way to look at your Archon card and kind of quickly evaluate what's my beatdown, what's my removal, what's my Ember, what's my disruption, and then where do I fall in the racing control mid-range thing. And you can use that to tell you how you should play your deck. Do I play my deck fast like a racing deck? Do I take it slow and just stop them dead in their tracks with my control deck? Or am I kind of halfway in the middle and I'm running with it? Um, I will tell you from my experience, the vast majority of decks in Keyforge fall into mid-range. Maybe they're maybe they're a little bit towards racing, maybe they're a little more towards the control, but most of the decks in Keyforge fall into mid-range. It's rare to see a true racing deck or a true control deck in a sealed format. But you just want to be aware of them in case you run into one. Yep. Uh, or in case you pull one. Um, yeah, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, so... I think that's going to close out our episode here, Steve. Yeah, so uh, I think it is that time to uh, plug out un- or plug out or plug another <laughs> uh, content creator there, and that's the Bouncing Death Quirk today. Yeah, they're a great, great podcast. A lot of what I came up with here, a lot of my thoughts and theories have come from listening to the Bouncing Death Quirk guys. Um, they're a great podcast. They they try to look at things through a more competitive lens than we do, um, which is great. You know, it takes takes all kinds to uh to really get like a good picture of what keyforge is all about these guys are fantastic um a couple of things real quick that i've learned from them is when you're trying to figure out what house to choose at the beginning of your turn look at how many cards for that house you have in your hand look at your board and figure out which of these combinations is going to give you the most ember is going to give you the most profitable turn uh they talk about the ember delta um if i'm going to swing in with one of my creatures that creature could have been reaped instead. So that cost me one ember. Am I hitting one of your creatures that maybe has captured several ember? Well, that means I'm gaining more ember, so it's worthwhile. That offsets. Um, and then that, that's, that's a good play. Right. I can take out and you know gain more ember, then I lose. Um, along with other stuff. They go into it more in depth there. Uh, they're actually where I got the idea for racing. Well, not that I got the idea, but they came up with an idea or at least talked about racing decks. Uh, they talk about which of the houses in your deck is a main deck, a main house, in which is a supporting house. Um, and they also do a little bit of streaming. Uh, one of the guys from Death Clark, uh, Co Dameron, C-O-D-A-M-E-R-O-N. Um, he does live streams on YouTube. If you follow them on Twitter, it's at Death Clark. Um, then they'll post up when they're going to do a live stream and, uh, and you can catch them out there. They're really cool. They're, uh, they're really, really helpful. Um, if you want to get better at Keyforge, this is a great direction to go in, along with any of the, the content creators out there. I haven't really run across anyone that's like, okay, <laughs> they're just completely wrong every time they open their mouths. Don't listen to them. Um, so if you've got time, there's plenty of options out there, and these are they're probably up towards the top. Yeah, and their episodes are, are yeah. definitely a lot shorter than ours. I think like they mostly hit around like yep. 20 minutes. Uh, they just want to get in, talk about their topic, and get out. Where, Some you of know, us ramble. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little. 
we're the uh, commuters we're the commuters podcast <laughs> they're they're the joggers yeah, the joggers podcast we're the commuters podcast <laughs> so yeah so again uh as usual you can follow us on facebook at uh, keychains pod or on twitter at keychains pod you can send us an email at uh, keychains podcast at gmail.com uh i think our our youtube you can just search up keychains we'll Should show be keychains up there. Pod as well uh we're still yeah you can we're still uh working on that backlog here and uh we finally figured out a workaround to get Instagram working, so you'll actually be able to follow us yeah, there. Yeah, it's Keychains Podcast instead of Keychains Pod because yes. people on Instagram don't like responding to you. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, but yeah, so uh, have a good one, guys. Yeah, take care. Bye. Bye.